The power of the network, I cannot overstate enough. And I'm not talking about networking. I'm talking about just those people that make you feel vibe and make you feel interested. They spark your interest. Just keep them close. TTYA Talks, the podcast. So guys, you know, every week we need to be focused and our guest today leads everything brand and business at British Vogue. She oversees every commercial deal, securing advertising and ensures that the Vogue brand is forward thinking and up to the times because, you know, it's all about diversity and inclusion. We're not playing any games anymore. Um, She's a TTYA Talks past panellist and I'm excited to welcome British Vogue's publishing director, Vanessa Kingori, MBE. Hi, Vanessa. Welcome to TTYA Talks, the podcast. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. I'm glad to be here today. It's a welcome break from uh, the Zoom Zoom meetings. Back-to-back Zoom life. (laughs) You guys that are listening on audio, like Vanessa's looking very radiant today. She's giving us black girl magic. She's shining. She's glowing. The ring light is on. She's giving it to them. She looks amazing. (laughs) Can you just come and live with me? Be my hype woman, yeah? (laughs) I love it. So with everybody that comes onto the podcast, I always say, you know, we have to be focused. So let's start at the beginning um, and and kind of tell the story. So it'd be really great to kind of hear about where you grew up, like where you went to school, your education, and just a bit about your culture, roots and culture and family. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Mine's, I've been told quite unusual because my father is Kenyan and my mother is from St. Kitts in the West Indies, Right. Um, so um, I was born in Kenya. I moved to St. Kitts uh, just under two, and then I moved to London um, just before seven. So my formative years were, I think, understanding that there's no prescribed way of being black. There's a lot of alignment, actually, but there, there was no idea to me that I had to be this way or that way or certain way, like this, like that, because I had already seen that. And also this idea that, you know, we're dealing with now since 2020 in a more mainstream way that um, being black was somehow problematic because if you've lived in a black country, you um, see that black people can occupy all elements of society, good, bad, judge, to whatever you know what I mean so that that notion didn't ring true to me Mm. and um so London was um a bit of a shock to the system when I came here but I really fell in love with it given um a bit of time and grew up in West London in a really eclectic um life in that I didn't have so when I moved to London what I realized is there were like even within West Indian groups, there's kind of Grenadians, there's Jamaicans. There were not a lot of Kittishans around, right? So I was kind of adopted by all these different cultures. And that was really cool. And then if you ever said to anyone non-African that you were born in Africa, people just assume Nigeria, mm. right? So I was very much adopted by the by sort of particularly Nigerian culture, but also Ghana, you know, what have you. And it was always like, so I I... I was able to navigate a lot of different groups and stuff. I grew up in Ealing in West London and I went to all girl Catholic convent school. So I had a really amazing mix of friends who were um, all different kinds of black, Irish, um, Italian, English. And so I was very lucky to have a kind of um, 
a proper melting pot in terms of friendship groups and a really amazing like core family very matriarchal my family Mm. oh I love that it sounds amazing and I love that it's very cross-cultural so from an early age you were kind of in the mix as well um even for me, like I live in South London, so it's predominantly it was very West African, very Caribbean, and again, so similar to you, like I'd always seen black people in incorporating all compasses of from employment to like social. So it was very, it was a bit of a cross shock, a shock to the system, like when you come to the UK and it's just like whoa, you know. But I think it helps us pivot and move, and also as insight, I like to say what you're saying or assuming doesn't match what I've seen with my own eyes. Mm. Like, so it definitely gives a different layer of strength and you don't know it at the time because you don't know any other diff- you don't know any other way you know what I mean but yeah definitely with hindsight important very so I want to get a little bit more into your career now because ugh, you just shine in sis but you know with social media we kind of always see the highlights and I really want to kind of unpack you know how you got into being in the incredible position that you're that you're in now which is obviously the publishing director for British Vogue um so I want to unpack a little bit like I've read quite a lot of interviews that you've done previously and I've seen you kind of speak about how matches fashion and the evening standard were kind of like your group grassroots way into like the fashion industry um what were some of the biggest lessons that you took away from those kind of like really entry-level roles into the fashion world oh that's a good one I think for me that the funny thing about the matches thing is I was work avoiding I like I worked throughout my um like um latter stages of of school throughout university I always worked in retail um and I loved it and you know the clothing allowance was good for when we were going out. After university, I didn't know what I wanted to do. And I had that archetypal thing, immigrant thing, where, you know, my parents really wanted me to pursue a solid career. The modeling stint was not acceptable. No, no, no. And I was trying to figure out what does that look like for me? And so I kind of took this job at Matches and I loved it. I didn't even see it as a career. I was just having the best time. We were going out. It was back in the day when I could go out every night and turn up for work and still be cool. Those days are done. But um, if you're still in those days, make sure you max them out. Utilize it. Utilize it. (laughs) (laughs) It's not last forever. Um, And so I was there and I was doing my thing, but I, I didn't see it as a career. But what I do think was important there um, is I was observing this business. I was observing how they run the business there, um, Tom and Ruth Chapman, and they were just coming at it differently. And because I'd worked in these different retail spaces, so did my sister. She'd worked for department stores. I'd worked for boutiques. It was the first place that I saw that were really all about data Right. So they and this is, you know, a a minute ago before data was really a big deal, but they had all of the customers core details their measurements, their phone numbers, their address. We something would come into store and we would say, oh, so and so would love that and call them up and say, I have something here. I think you love. I'm going to put it on site. Or do you want me to send it to your house? Try it on. And I just thought this is amazing. You know, this is. I was always what I learned about myself there 
is I really cared so much about the back end of the business, not so much about the shiny front end, right? And that carried me through. And the other big thing I learned there and at the Evening Standard is just about the power of the network and your crew. Like, even if you don't know where something's going, I didn't know where that was going. I didn't think it was going anywhere. You know, I was there, I worked with my friends. It was fun, right? But I... But what I I met people who I who were different to me and who were interesting and who took an interest in me. And what the big thing I learned there is staying close to those people, nurturing those contacts, congratulating them when they hit their next high and they did their thing would pay dividends down the line, right? So years after. It, it, you know, the, I met these people, nothing had happened. It, our, our past didn't cross professionally, but I stayed in contact. And a lot of these people would then come and bolster my, my career when I was applying for something else. I wanted an insight. So the power of the network, I cannot overstate enough, particularly if you are in a position where you don't want to do what you're members of your family and the people you know directly and you're going to need to break some new ground right so network network network. and I'm not talking about networking right I'm not sure I really believe in that I'm talking about just those people that make you feel a vibe and make you feel like interested they spark your interest just keep them close and and look up them. Yeah, it's so funny that you say that because even for me, one of my first retail jobs was Selfridges, who who ended up you turning and being my actual first stockist when I started my brand. And it's so funny because I was just like this black kid from Brixton who got a job in like this big West London like department store. But it was the first time when I first started working on the shop floor that I met like Central Saint Martin's kids and like different um, people from different backgrounds. And it's so funny that you say that because now a lot of those people are the people that now can help me later on down the line. And one thing that I think that you touched on, which I think is so important, because I'm the same with you in that networking boundaries, is, is organic networking. Like those people have formed your circle organically. Like you didn't, you weren't friends with them just because, oh, you scratch my back, I scratch yours. Like these are all people that you've kind of met at the early stages. You know, when someone's approaching you because they think that you're, you can connect them versus when you're talking to someone and you're like, oh, my spirit takes this person. And it, it's irrespective of what the connect is, right? That's the first thing. It's like, do you just vibe and have a connection with that person? Because this whole idea of networking is like, nobody nobody has space anymore for like forced interactions or false friends. So we don't I have think- the time, sis. We don't have the time. <laughs> <laughs> So what advice would you kind of give to anyone like wanting to start a career in fashion? Because like you just touched upon, it was like you were really interested in the back end. And again, I feel like with fashion, a lot of us get to see the front end, shiny hair, makeup, model, glam, going on all like location, shoots, like all the rads. But actually the business is the behind the scenes. Maybe it would be great to hear from you, like maybe what some of those roles are and what advice you would give to anyone who really is thinking more about the BTS or fashion. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I think that's that the the answer is almost in that question. It's like there's only so many 
fashion designers. There's only so many editors. There's so many, you know, there's only so many stylists. So the roles that you know, um, what else, what drives those roles is what I, I think is a really good question to ask. And one I wish I'd asked myself, like I only asked myself that later when I started to realize, oh, there's so much more. So I should explain a bit about what I do because no one knows what it is. So my role it, I did not know existed. I remember thinking to myself, I'd done the modeling thing. It was cute. It wasn't really like I did, you know, well and everything, but it wasn't making my heart sing. For sure, my family were like, oh no, you know, whatever. But I remember thinking, I like the energy of being around this. I like the creativity. I want to know how it comes together, right? And I want to be able to engage the fact that I I do have a business minded brain and I, you know, have entrepreneurial thinking, but like, what's that role? Like, how do I fashion and, and business and so on and so forth. And interestingly, it's exactly what my role is. My role is the business behind of the creativity. So how does a brand like Vogue um, generate revenue, right? Whether it be through sales, through partnerships, through advertising, and all the steps that take to get there. So what is our brand profile? How do we market? What does our PR look like? What are the collaborations that we have and how does how is that interpreted, right? I didn't know that job existed because I didn't know anyone working in the magazine industry or the fashion industry, really, really. And um, it was only until I started to think when I when and this is my big advice. If you're out there and you see a fashion or or creative spectacle that moves you and you don't necessarily want to be the model or the, the, the whatever, ask yourself, I wonder what it took to bring that together. Right. And when you start to try to imagine unpacking that, then you can imagine what some roles might be behind the scenes and you can start to do some research. Right. So if you see, let's say you see an amazing outfit, a picture of an outfit, you think, oh, I wish I was in the world to be creating that. Then, you know, there's a stylist there um, and the stylist has picked an amazing outfit, but the hair works really well with that. So how did who connected the stylist and the hair person to make sure that she was wearing an updo because it's a high neck or that, you know what I mean? Like you just start to think about how did the camera, how she's so well lit? How does she look so radiant? Right. And there's a, you know, that there's a photographer, but do you know that there's someone who's in charge of lighting? Like, so my whole thing is like, if you see an image or a show or a video or a magazine article and you love it, start to try to imagine what are the things you love and who might be responsible for that. And sometimes you'll come up with a dud. You'll think that there's a job exists that doesn't. But just asking those questions and doing a little search and what have you will throw up things you just didn't know existed. You know what I mean? You don't know that there's someone who's specifically focused on like lighting. You don't know that there are producers who are just like connectors and, you know, people who know all the talent and so you might think, well, my skill is that like, I'm, I'm really gregarious. I get on with people. I'm good at connecting people. That's a skill. That's not just like a cute thing about you. Right. And there's a role for that. So I think um, my big advice is 
I have so many people who like come and, you know, like I might be mentoring or asking me for advice, will ask me about the same specific high profile roles. And there's a lot of competition for that roles. Ask yourself, really, do you really want to be a stylist? Do you really want to be a designer? Or is that just the only label that you know? And then behind that, because there are roles there which may have um, different barriers to entry, perhaps lower um, and just more than forget about the barriers to entry just might like light your soul up in a different way do you know what I mean so yeah I love that like and I love that you explained a little bit more about what a publisher does because I feel like when you even use the title it's a bit like hmm, are they part of the magazine are they so it was it was really amazing to hear like the clarity on what a publisher does what would be really insightful as well is maybe like a little bit more about how your career journey led you into that path. Because like you said, it's not something that is front of house that everybody knows about. And your journey from starting at matches to there must have been quite an interesting one and must have kind of pivoted along the way. How did you even get to that point of being like, okay, publishing is for me? Girl, the road was full of meanders and turns and going down a weird, wrong way direction. And I didn't know. So... I was not one of these people, like I always admire those people who are like, in five years time, I'm going to be here. Because I was like, I don't even know, like, you know what I mean? <laughs> so that's why the network thing was really important. So I would like start roles. I remember when I was doing events and I was loving it. I was throwing parties. It was great. But I was like, oh, okay, I'm getting over this now and I didn't know what to do I would call people some of them I met at matches some of them and I'd say oh girl I just I think I'm coming to the end of the road for this but I don't want it to be a hard stop like I'm trying to figure out how can this lead to something that's different and take their advice so um I talk about this a lot at the, when I was events director and I suddenly was like, okay, I want to change it up. I called a girlfriend from university actually, and a friend I'd met at matches, Marcus and, and, and spoke to them. And they said, you should meet so-and-so you did da, 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 What have you I ended up at the evening standard? What turned into a, have a phone call with a friend of mine who works there was then come and meet um, this person. And then, you know, I really tried to knock it out of the park because I didn't know the path. The big bit of advice, I guess, that I would give is that I was just like, whatever opportunity comes at me, even if I don't know if this is the one or where, where it's going to go, or if I'm even, I'm just going to give it 110%. I'm going to try and knock it out of the park. I'm going to try and make connections with people who feel me and who I like along the way. And then I'll see. And Basically, my career has been a series of like, let me see where this goes. <laughs> you know, like, and if I'm not feeling it, then I move on to something else. If I if I um, am, then I then I start to think about, okay, what's the next step prescribed in this, and do I want the prescribed step, or am I going to try and like create a little groove over here? You know what I mean. So that's really how I've done it because I just didn't have a template and I didn't I didn't see. Um, anyone that looked like me in my, in any career that I was vaguely interested in that were in my reach, you know? So, yeah. Something that I kind of wanted to touch upon is that kind of like now how things have affected that kind of publishing role, especially where like, you know, things have gone more digital now versus print. Like how has your role as a publisher pivoted now during these times? 
the new age digital Gen Z world. <laughs> For my entire career, everyone's been like, print is dead. We're all, we're all going to be done. I'm like, but digital is going to be the end of print. And I'm like, that is some bullshit. Like, mm. Digital has opened up so many more opportunities. Like, I don't look at myself as um, leading a print brand. I lead a media brand. And digital and social are absolutely core pillars as important as the magazine um and I'm really lucky because um I try not to use the word luck actually so I'm going to scratch that um we'll come back to that but I think that because I didn't have a prescribed idea of what this role should look like because no one ever told me and I didn't know of it I really just made it up and came at it myself and so um I've got quite a fluid approach to who our audience can be, where they're at. And my thing is like, if you run a media brand, you should meet your audience and your community wherever they're at, not try and drag them into a space that they don't want to be. So if they're not reading a print publication, you shouldn't be going like, how can we make them read? No, Mm. like if they're on their phone, you should be there. Which apps are they on? What social planet um, channels are they on? And how are you going to make um, maintain the pillars of the brand, like you maintain the pillars of yourself, but translate it into that space? So I was really able to not be confined by how everyone else thought the industry should work because I didn't mm. know how the industry should work. <laughs> and that was my big break in a way at GQ in that, when I was there, it was all about digital transformation and there was a lot of fear. We were replatforming. We were trying to hire roles that were not traditional. And I was just like, great, bring it on. I can lead this. I, I'm, I'm open. I'm going to speak to people who we wouldn't normally speak to. And I'm not wedded to how things worked in the past. I'm about what is going to future-proof the brand and and what we're doing. So, um, yeah, it's a big, big part. And, you know, at Vogue, it's even turbocharged because um, with Edward coming on board and really having his own following and understanding social, suddenly speaking to someone who was, I wasn't trying to convince to be in the digital space, but was like, yes, let's do it. How we, you know, so... Our biggest marketing channel is our own social platform. And I mean, so yeah, it's super important and and we're there. Well, I love that you've just spoke about Edward because that's the direction that I was moving in, sis. We, we We need to unpack the gist, yeah? So you became like the first female publishing director in Vogue's magazine history, point black period, as, as Gen Z say. Um, what did it kind of mean to be at the forefront of, you know, new era Vogue? It's it's almost vocational, right? Because I had been in magazines for a really long time and in, and in media and um, coming to the end of GQ, I was kind of like, okay, I've shaken things up. I've been present. I've been visible. People know they can come. They can be in the space now, you know, because I was first woman there I was first you know um, non-white person in a leadership role and so I sort of was like okay I've done this now the numbers were great you know it was a success and but to be honest I started to become what I could do was really change the business side and the perceptions of the competency, like how competent a woman is, a black person is, you know, leading on that scope. 
I didn't have, although as publisher, you're part of approving the covers and all of those things, the creative inception was not with me, right? Um, and so this not so much just about GQ, but just as an industry as a whole, I was in the room when people were having discussions about what would and wouldn't work. And I was frustrated with hearing the same myths again and again and again. And so I was kind of ready to start doing something else. And I had a plan to do something else. And then bumped into Edward at the Fashion Awards, British Fashion Awards. We got chatting, we were vibing, talked about some of this stuff. And then he came and was like, I'm visiting. Do you want to say hi? Like from New York. I was like, yeah, sure. We bumped into each other actually. And then we um, we got chatting again. And then he revealed to me that I had been asked about Vogue before. And kind of embarrassingly now I was like, no, I'm done. La, 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 la. Never, oh, you know, whatever. And then he was, he revealed that, that, that you know, he was um, on track to become the new editor. And I was suddenly like, oh, wish I hadn't said all those no's so clearly. A little bit more on the fence. Um, and so because we had, we, we were so aligned in our thinking about w where the industry was and where um, a vehicle like Vogue with the right drivers could go, not just for Vogue, but for the whole industry mm. and for the whole, um, uh, and not just for media brands, for the whole fashion, beauty, media industry. Um, it really felt like, wow, okay, this, this is exciting. And um, there was just a real kind of meeting of minds and, um yeah I mean the rest is history basically yeah oh I just love that see see the network intertwined um but there's a lot like you said and spoken about in previous questions was that like you know there's a lot to be said about your power of your collective essentially and you know I'd love to like unpack a little bit more about your friendship with Edward Obviously, he's editor-in-chief, Edward Ennin for Vogue. And, you know, I love that you both kind of lift each other up. Like, he's always championing you. You're always championing him. I see you guys going for walks. You know, it's a real friendship, you know. It's not just, okay, like, we work together. Um, you were friends before you guys started working together, right? Yeah. You know what's so funny is, like, there were just some real serendipitous things. Like, we... So, we're both from West London. We... Um, got our we are his OBE and my MBE were announced on the same list I think and like they're just these little things kept lining up and actually there was a project which um we had both been approached for six or seven years before we were both announced in Vogue and it didn't work out and so we, we were in a kind of um dialogue but we weren't like super close or anything like that but we just, you know, this goes back to that thing, which I feel like I keep saying is just like, when you vibe with someone, you just vibe with them. Mm, you know what I mean? And it's mm. not about going to go. At that point, honestly, I can tell you, no one would have dreamt that Edward mm. would be the, the, the editor of Vogue because he's many firsts. At the time, he was doing incredible work as a stylist, you know, it was just like, whatever, but he's very, very cool. He's hilarious, like really funny, very straight talking, quite shy in certain ways and like very endearing. We just clicked. So for me, that's really, really important. And I think it's 
one of the biggest privileges of like the groundwork that I've put in in my career is being at the point now where I can say to myself, I really want to work with people who I, I can have a choice, right? So I want to work with people who I feel like there's a connection with and I click with and, you know, so I feel very lucky to um, to to have that and to to just work with someone who I think really understands what I do, appreciates what I do. It's like a very, it's a great partnership. It's very respectful. He's very inquisitive. He wants to know. He's very invested in what's going on and vice versa. And he loves the fact that I understand and I care about the creative process a lot. And a lot of business people ultimately aren't. You know, they don't really care. They're like, it's cute, but how am I going to make money? Whereas I really care about it. And so we are always giving and take. So a lot of times I'll green light decisions for the brands that aren't strictly speaking kind of great for the bottom line, but they're just, they're just right, the right thing to do, right? Um, and and likewise, he'll support a lot of things that he's just like, okay, usually most editors are just not into. So the friendship means we're able to do so much more professionally as well and it's that's very important to me yeah I love that because it's almost as in like it's like an allyship right and some things you're going to agree on some things it's like you're seeing things from a different point of view as well perspective which allows you to grow and allows your work relationship and personal friendship to grow so I really really love that um one thing that kind of came to the forefront at the beginning of kind of a year ago lockdown and you know us seeing the tragic events of you know George Floyd and then um Breonna Taylor and you know Black Lives Matter like really taking a powerful impact in all of us and I think you know we were in I was involved in so many cultural conversations so many branded conversations you know diversity and inclusion almost became a bit of a weird marketing buzzword for me and I've and I really struggled, if I'm honest, V, because I think for somebody like I've been championing us in spaces where we don't really belong, even doing events in some of the most craziest places where you really know they don't want us to be there, but they know that we bring the rats, you know. So at the same time, it's like, you know, sometimes when I was seeing some of those black squares, like it was triggering for me because I thought, well, your behind the scenes is not reflective of this progressive movement that you're posting on Instagram, you know, so... You know, at the time, there was much needed questions, which I thought was really positive because now it seemed like we weren't really saying anything that we hadn't said before. But I felt like people were more open to listening now. And that's what the that's what the switch was. How did you kind of challenge emotions at the time? Because I know you kind of touched on like being in rooms where like, you know, some of those myths, and I'm going to be able to say it, some of those myths were like black girls on the cover of magazines don't sell. We all know that. That was a big one. And I think I loved about Edward Like his first issue was what, is it, yeah? Is it? Let me give you a black girl on the cover of the magazine, yeah? You guys can shut up, (laughs) you know? And I loved that because it was like, okay, cool. Is this what you think? But I'm going to show you otherwise. And I loved it. It was kind of challenging stereotypes. And I guess institutionally, you do work at a a company that has had a long history of being a certain kind of rich and proper way. Were there some maybe uncomfortable conversations that you maybe had to have at the time? And, you know, how, uh, you know, being a director, you must have a team. Like, how did you even kind of manage those internal conversations of speaking to your team as well? Yeah, my gosh, it's a lot. It's a lot. Last year was a lot. It was amazing. 
ultimately, I think, for that point that you made, which is so, which is like people had to engage with the conversation, which maybe they were uncomfortable with or just unaware of before. And it is really interesting because the George, I when I first heard that news and saw clips of that video, which I, you know, obviously don't want to ever see again. My feeling was, here we go again. And it was absolutely mind-blowing to me that so many people were looking at it like this had never happened before, like this was the first time. And I think that's so much to do with lockdown and COVID. And there is some serendipity in those two things happening at that same time. And I always think about his daughter saying, you know, my daddy's going to change the world because his tragic death at that time happened at the time when the world needed to see it and needed to be confronted with this idea that this is happening all the time. And it's and my big thing is it's not just about the people who die. It's about the people who live, right, with their lives restricted in a way that it, that's a kind of death too, right? Not being able to fulfill your potential, not being able to live with freedom, uh, mental freedom is a kind of death too. So I think people's lives are being strangled. And the other thing is the first wave was, oh gosh, America's a mess. And it was like, well, come on, <laughs> let me just, we're not going to brush it off as like, no, this is Wait, a global phenomenon, and, and the UK is very much, you know, um, needing to be part of this conversation. So I think that I very much am a person who is like live by example. Visibility is very important. Um, you talk about like Instagram, and and for a lot of people, they don't want that level of visibility. And I'm very careful about what I share on my Instagram, even though it feels very haphazard, because I know it means a lot to certain people to see a black woman like you, a black woman like me living well. It's it's important that we do that. But it's also important that when these conversations come up, they come up and we face them head on. So there were... The co- I started to initiate conversations because my my team and people around me were were saying that you know what should I read and um, gosh America's so wild and all of those things and I was just like okay I really I am aware that for anyone who works for me and works alongside me I might suggest that racism isn't a problem right? Because I'm the first in the role. I'm living well. I've accessed a great job and da, 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 da. And so there could be a kind of misinterpretation there that, like, well, how can racism be a problem? My boss is black, right? Um, and so I really felt like it was very important to um, speak out with the people, the, the team closest to me and say, this is my experience this is why this is painful. Ask me anything you want and create a safe space for people to say the things that maybe they're nervous to outside and they're worried about being cancelled because they asked the question. Because I really believe that unless we create spaces where people can say the stuff that that we don't necessarily want to hear, you can't address it, you can't answer it, you can't unpack it, you can't explain, explain it to people. So that was really vital. And then the other thing that you touched on, which was so interesting, was then about the kind of um, performative kind of 
um, side of it. Genuinely, I feel like lots of brands and people genuinely were like, I'm shocked to my core. I would like to be a part of change. I would like to be a great ally. But there was a performance element of it. And with the black squares element of it, it was incredible that day when you saw all those black squares, people misinterpreted it. So you had black people posting black squares, which wasn't meant to be what happened. But I just thought, I do not want for blackness to be solely associated with problems, right? With suffering, with racism, we're being killed in the street. These things are happening and we need to we need to address that but like can we talk about the success can we talk about joy can we so you know you were good enough to join me on share the mic and the reason I wanted to do share the mic is I I want to see black faces I don't want to see black squares show people what they are missing show them that why don't you know that great person in that space you should get to know them and understand that black blackness is is morally right to protect but it's also worth protecting because mm. so much of the pillars of our culture our communities our great businesses are black people mm. and so my I had exactly that same feeling of you of like oh god I just don't know if I can have another you know people were reaching out and like can you help me unpack this can you join our board can you come into the talk can you introduce me to like we now need to hire more black people and I thought I'm just going to do one action where I just show you the answers and you can reach out to all these people as well not just me if I'm like the only black person you know so last year was was tough it was exhausting I mean I every black person I know were just saying, particularly by the end of that summer, like, oh, it's uh, hard to keep emotionally unpacking tragedy and challenge and all of that stuff. And so that's why I was like, let me just have a moment where we just celebrate. Yeah. And agreed. And I love Share the Mic because as a black woman, I felt like it was almost on our shoulders to kind mm. of carry the problem and be explaining it. And, you know, like you said, reach out to this person or come and talk on this panel. or And it was just like, it was like heavy, heavy, heavy. And what I loved about Share the Mic, I was thank you so much for including me um I shared my mic with Stella Maxwell she's beautiful and you know it was really nice to kind of have that day so just to like backtrack a little bit like you formed kind of part of the leadership project of Share the Mic and you know it was there to kind of highlight the accomplishments and contributions of black women using allyship of successful white women and um you know, the combined audience on socials, I believe, was 175 million and had some incredible babes from like June Sarpong to Courtney Kardashian to Gwyneth Paltrow to Victoria Beckham. So, you know, how did the project come about? And well, we kind of we spoke a little bit about how it came and came about, but what was your kind of main goal for the project? I just so so I was trying to think about what to do with, and I also was like, I really have no energy because all these conversations are zapping me. And then friends of mine had done it in the States. And I was like, this is amazing. Theirs had happened sort of quite shortly after George Floyd. So it was really about activism. It was really about call to action and so on. It was incredible. And then 
you know, I was having conversations in the U- in the UK. Um, Stacy, who'd done it in the States, had reached out to a friend to say someone should do it in the UK. And then, like, we decided to do it, um, a British one. But I really, really felt that we, between June and October, a lot had happened. There was a lot of pain. There was a lot of anguish. There was a lot of kind of... Um, talking about the challenges and like I said I wanted it to then be about celebration and I wanted to give people a moment to big themselves up and to be joyous and to say you know what the sum of my parts is not that um I am limited by my blackness that is happening that's a that's a societal thing but in spite of that look at what I've done even and imagine if that wasn't there what I could do beyond that and it was interesting because when I first saw the concept, I was a little bit like, why do we need white women to like, you know, <laughs> open the door for us and, and so on and so forth. But then when I looked deeper into the, the thing, it's like, okay, actually a lot of white women had reached out to me and said, what can I do? What charity can I give to? And so on and so forth. And I was like, actually, you know what? For you to be a part of the change is, is just listen, quieten the noise. It's the equivalent of posting your black square for the day. The idea of posting the black square was that you would have the messages around activism and call to action rise up if everyone else just quietened down. This is your time to listen. And then what you can do after this is r- learn from these women, right? This is a learning experience and connect them. Right. So open up your net. They, they can open up their networks to you. These are all accomplished women. They're doing great things, but you can also broaden your network to them. So going back to our original thing about how important networks are, it's it's that that was my my aspiration was about women who are equals opening up different doors. Right. So we have all this great stuff going on over here that you may not know about and you operate in a world that's like has a door to it that we may not know about. Let's merge them and let's see how much change that we can create through that. So that was really the kind of guiding light and North Star. Before I let you go, I have two fire questions just for you. Proudest moment of your career so far? Oh, proudest moment. Okay, that's a hard, I'll tell you the most recent proud moment. Um, the most recent proud moment is a small but really pivotal thing in that um, I did a shoot recently with my son Charles and the photographer was really great and I used her a lot of Vogue although it wasn't a Vogue thing um, and I'd never met her so I said it's so amazing to meet you like young um, black girl who is really popping and we just love her work and I've booked her a lot of times at Vogue via my team and so on. I've never met you. Did Nike shoot for us? You did da, 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 da. She's like, but I have met you. And um, I was like, shame. Um, <laughs> Them ones. We <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, okay. But she said, no, you spoke at my graduation. And um, it was really amazing because so – I I do some work with the University of the Arts and I'm a governor there and I was given an honorary doctorate, which was very important for my, those black parents were like, yes, she's a doctor. (laughs) She's kind of a doctor. I would take it, right? Um, But so they asked me to do a talk to the students and that photographer said, your talk 
resonated with, with me so much and made me feel like I could walk into these spaces. And I was just like, oh, wow, like, this is why we're all here. This is why you do what you do. I, I really, really, it's so important to me that whoever's coming after me feels like they can step into any single space and feel like they belong and their talent should shine and no, none of their demographics, whatever they may be, should be more important than, than what they want to achieve. So that was, that was a proud moment. No, definitely. It's that it goes back to representation and you being like you can't be what you can't see, you know, and sometimes you do have limited thoughts because you don't see anyone. And I think the great thing, even me, like, so for those of you who are listening, Vanessa spoke at a panel that I did at Soho House many, many, many years ago. And that's when we first connected. And even just like you, I think you were still at GQ at the time. And I just remember thinking, wow, like you've just, you were tall, you walked in, I thought, yes, somebody that I can see at eye level. Yes, somebody whose jeans fit. Yes. I was like, is this where you get your jeans from? You know? But like, I think... <laughs> but I was just like... When I was listening to you speaking, I just remember being like, wow. Like, you're just so amazing. And you've inspired me so much. And I love that you just mentioned your son at the end there because my next question was going to be like, how has been being a new mother and how have you kind of balanced work, mum life? <laughs> Babe, any day I'll crack it. <laughs> it's incredible honestly like I want not to be like I want to be really like oh yeah it's lovely move on but it it's the best thing that's ever happened to me it's hard as hell like I think having a fixed role doing a lot I do a lot outside of my um core job and I'm very hands-on mother it's like okay trying to do three full-time jobs but he's just hilarious and you know the great thing about women, and I definitely think women with an immigrant mindset is we can get it done. The things I saw my mother do, my grandmother do, I'm like, girl, you cannot complain. Like, just suck it up, make it work. Um, and they were still cooking a full-on meal. Like, I'm not talking about heating stuff up, like, every day. So just make it work. <laughs> I love that, sis. So what's next for you? What are you allowed to tell me? I should say. That's what I said to everyone. What are you allowed to tell me? Um, yeah, what's next for you, babe? I've got some projects coming. Um, I, I'll, you'll be first to know. I'm, I'm going to be, yeah, launching um, a, co- you know, a, a project about having more great conversations that kind of off the back a little bit, a bit of share the mic. Um and I'm doing lots of work with um, the Royal College of um, Obstetrician and Gynecologists around the experiences I had on the road to having my son and um, that a lot of black women in particular and also Asian women are having, we're still five, um, four to five times more likely to die in the process of becoming a mother, which I think is just absolutely crazy. So I'm doing some work with them and it's it's really incredible. I'm learning a lot and trying to bring awareness to that disparity so that, you know, we can have more research and and, and have some change there. And um, I'm just doing the most all the time, like you. <laughs> sis, I learned from you, sis. Let's let's be honest. I learned from you. I learned from you. Uh, v, I just want to say thank you for giving me your time. We all know how, how much, how precious that is at the moment. So I just want to appreciate you for giving your time and sharing your knowledge and dropping those bombs. I was just like, I felt like I was in a therapy session today. I was just like listening because I'm just like, sometimes I, I feel like I'm just like 
strolling through life. Things are coming at me. Every opportunity I'm grabbing with both hands and domino effect, wherever I land, I land, you know. But I just wanted to say thank you so much for being an inspiration for us. It's not easy being the first because it is literally like you're alone in a lot of those spaces, which is one thing that I don't think we speak about enough. So I just want to say thank you. Thank you for being an inspiration to us. Thank you for repping us us black girls and making us feel proud and giving us a space to share our mics and have a space where we can champion others. So thank you. Thank you, darling. And thank you for everything you're doing. Even having these conversations, I think it's really important for people to kind of hear in a in a kind of conversational way mm-hmm. behind the scenes and and just for everything else that you've been doing like you know I so adore you and I was so happy when you you said Thank yes you. to be involved in share the mic and and I miss coming to your events and I miss bumping into you at events and hanging soon. out <laughs> soon so, soon soon if anyone wanted to follow you on social media on Instagram or Twitter it's just my name at Vanessa Kingori you heard it here first guys so V thank you we appreciate you guys you know the vibes you know the energy this is TTYA Talks real talk real authenticity every single time and real black girl magic later thank you so much for listening to this episode if you enjoy the podcast please spread the word rate, review, subscribe all of that good stuff for any questions please also feel free to send me a signal on Instagram or Twitter on the handles at Irene TTYA or at TTYA Talks.